You're listening to The Contrary Beekeeper Show. I'm Dan. I'm Greg. And I'm James. Join us as we journey into beekeeping while we learn to be the change, one hive at a time. Well, welcome back to the show. We've had a heck of a trip where uh, Dan and I went and uh, Greg Sr. started off on the uh, 2019 bee run, headed down from Ohio to pick up bees from Don the Fat Bee Man and then deliver them all through uh, Georgia, Tennessee, Kentucky, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. And we've had a heck of a journey already. Well, don't get ahead of yourself. We're, we're not that far into it. We just made it to North Carolina. We're far enough. We, we've hit the gym here. Right now, we're sitting with Mark Smith of Flatwood Bee Farm. And uh, he showed us around his yard, and we're getting to learn from him how he keeps hives, his management practice. And he's got a really cool place here. So thanks for having Thank us, Mark. You. Thank you. Welcome to North Carolina. It's great. Yeah. It's, it's hot. It's yeah. muggy. And it's muggy. Yep. And uh, the best thing about it is there's bees flying everywhere. It feels like the middle of summer back home. It, <laughs> yeah. It's a huge change. We left Ohio this morning uh, through a couple of different rainstorms, coming through all the mountains, hitting Fancy Gap, and coming down through here. There's all kinds of changes in the landscape and, uh, of course, the weather and all that. Yeah, yes, so. yesterday was exceptionally hot. We hit uh, 87 here, almost oh. 90 degrees yesterday. Oh. And so. I never see you really wearing a bee suit. No. Nah. I mean, I got no. I've I've got a uh, one of those cowboy looking things with a, a veil on it. Yeah. yeah, just in case. Yeah, but yeah, if they're if they're too hot for me to go in there like that, they don't. I don't need to see them. So. So you have a pretty unique uh, management practice. You know, a lot of folks are pretty hardliners when it comes to uh, what doctrine they subscribe to when it comes to beekeeping. You reached out to us when we first started the podcast and we had some good exchanges back and forth and we've enjoyed, uh, checking out your YouTube channel, uh, the Flatwoods Bee Farm. Thank you. And seeing all your swarm catching and all the, uh, more natural approach you take with beekeeping. Uh, so far we've seen a lot of cool things here in the bee yard. Tell us, tell us and everyone else a little bit about yourself, your beekeeping, uh, style, how long you've been at it. And, um, Let's get get to know you and your farm here a little bit. All right. Well, um, I started keeping bees in 2010. We had two packages. Uh, of course, I went and took the local club's bee school first. Got the two packages. Successfully killed them the first year. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, what the heck? I'll go take the class again. So I did. You know, got two more packages the next year, and. Uh, and and did pretty good. I mean, we we didn't we didn't lose all our bees. And in 2013, um, I actually did my last treatment for uh, for any kind of pest or disease, and that was uh, formic acid. That's all I had ever used. Mm-hmm. And what uh, you don't know the story behind yeah. why I made that decision? Yeah. <clears throat> well, here in North Carolina, we have an awesome uh, bee inspector uh, or division. Where they come, apiary inspectors, and uh, we were doing the our my spring inspection in 2014, and uh, she asked me. She said, "You want to do a mite count?" I said, "Sure, why not?" So we started started to do a mite count, and my bees weren't here at that time. They were my mom and dad's where I grew up. We quit counting at 30. Wow! Ooh. Right? Wow! Ooh. Should be a death sentence, right? Yeah. Okay. This colony was two deeps high, and had four honey supers on it monster it was a beautiful colony yeah 
And when when we did the mic check and quit counting at 30, she looked at me and she said, I didn't see any disease. Now, disease being deformed wing, yeah, uh, parasitic mite syndrome, you know, that kind of stuff. She said, there's no disease in this colony. And I thought, huh, I might be on to something. Mm. So um, I came home and I made a decision that I was going to quit using chemicals on my colonies. I actually still have daughters of that queen still in my operation. Cool. So we've been we've been chemical free um, ever since 2014. Never been beeless. Um, the last bee that I bought was in 2011. I bought a queen, and everything else I've made myself. So I've I raised my own bees, and um, and it's worked out pretty good. What kind of um, I don't want to say learning curve, but. Uh, going from 2010 to 2019, what kind of progression have you seen uh, in winter loss or hive loss coming back into the spring? What what has that transition looked like over the past nine years? Well, it's it's hard it's hard to to answer that before I went chemical free. Um, of course, then when I was using formic acid, it was just you know normal losses, kind of like everybody else. But when I made that decision to go chemical free. Of course, losses were heavy, you know. Like but that's, 50 to 90 or 100? Or, or I guess no, it was 100. It wasn't 100. It was number 100. Um, I think the worst year was 70% winter loss. Now, when yeah. I say winter loss, to me, that is from October 1st to when uh, red maple starts blooming here. Right. Which is what, like March here? Yeah, yeah. End of February? It was a couple weeks early this yeah. year. But I look at it like this. If I, if I keep a colony alive to red maple... We've made it. Okay. So, so yeah, I, probably the, the worst loss I had was 70%. And each year, it has gotten better. Okay. <clears throat> this past year, my loss was 30%. Okay. So, to me, um, that's more natural. You know, colonies die. There's, there, there's nothing you can it's do about it. That's part of nature. Yeah. And, and, and to me, 30% loss is more in line with what would be natural in the natural environment. Sure. So you just went from overnight from using formic acid to nothing, and that's like when you got said 70% loss? Yeah. Is what I you quit, had that I, first year? Cold turkey. Okay. Never looked back. So were you using foundation before, plastics? I was. Uh, plastic I, was using, I was using foundation, and uh, probably three years ago, is when I started phasing all that out. Okay. And now all the wired foundation should, every now and again, I'll, I'll find one, but most of it's all gone now. Okay. Everything, everything is natural comb now. Okay. We were talking earlier uh, about that, uh, and you're using uh, natural drawn comb. And w- w- can you talk to us about what you've seen with the cell size and how what kind of importance or significance that may or may not have, in your opinion, with, with your bees uh, and your management practice here well i've measured as small as 5.6 millimeter and of course as big as five six five eight which would be honey and drone size as small as f- five six or four six four point six okay yeah yeah four point right. six millimeter mm-hmm. um the significance yeah i don't know because if you noticed i didn't say that i'm small cell of course not yeah i'm natural, natural cell. whatever they draw yeah. you know a lot a lot of uh 
the movement is focuses on small cell that, that small cell bees have a um, a tendency to be more mite tolerant because of the gestation period inside the cell blah 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 right okay whatever uh, I don't worry so much about being small cell as I do letting the bees do what bees do right if they want to build a combination of drone brood cells on the same frame i don't care because they know best mm-hmm. um and i let them do I, I basically let them do what 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 they want to do now i do move frames around a little bit to keep them pulled straight you know i think that's okay but if they want to pull a whole frame of drone i don't care right but if but most of the time i get a whole frame of brood cell size so you know i i think it's i think it's a good thing to let bees do what they do plus two it keeps uh, it keeps uh, you know a lot of the chemicals out of our wax you know because because I, I rotate my wax out every five years um so the more the more you know i get toward what bees do naturally the healthier they seem i wonder what kind of a lot of this i think we get into uh, i don't want to use the word pseudoscience because i kind of my ears perk up when I hear pseudo anything, and I actually take interest in it because I think there's a lot to learn from the things that we can't necessarily put pencil to paper for that we see or or, or have the observations in that in the natural world that we, we it's hard to find metrics or to flesh those out scientifically speaking to repeat it. But it does seem like if you give bees the opportunity, they'll draw whatever size comb that they want. But one of the first things I know is that you got small bees. See, they look little. Your bees look little. See, you notice that yeah. within five minutes of walking out there. Yeah, I won't notice it. Now tomorrow we have our, like I told you, we have our club field day. Okay, I've got hives there. Yeah, and there's other guys that treat that have that have have hives there. Mm-hmm. I'll notice it tomorrow. It's like my gosh, you got fat bees, <laughs> giant bees. Yeah, yeah. Where'd you get them big bees? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, but see, I don't notice it anymore. Now what what I did notice is when I was making the transition, I would have different size bees. Uh-huh, okay. Okay. Because depending on what size cell she laid that egg in, the larva and the pupa would conform sure. to the size of, you know, so therefore a couple of years I would I would see different size bees in the same colony, which I thought was cool. But now that um now that I've you know, rotate a lot of that comb out. That I don't see that as much. If folks aren't really, if if you're hearing these these words and you're not real sure what we're talking about, there there's been there has been a movement since oh I don't know probably the early fifties late forties uh, to try to, to the the thought idea was that the bees were uh, initially upsized uh, in their natural size uh, to kind of facilitate um, and and an increase in production on, on what they're actually bringing back to the hive. A bigger bee can thus bring back more resources to the hive. Over time, folks then started getting the idea that, well, maybe we need to go back to more of a natural beekeeping approach and let the bees draw their own size. And then during those observations, the uh, a, a pretty some, some similar data that, they, that, that scientific backyard beekeepers uh, and also uh, I, some universities could find is that when you let the bees draw out their own comb, they actually draw out smaller size cells than the size cells that uh, we were giving them in the commercial environment. 
then the, the small cell movement kind of started to take off back with uh, like D. Lusby and, and even going back earlier than that. And it, it, like anything else, it's highly in beekeeping. If you change anything, it's super controversial. Everyone's going to have their opinion <laughs> on it uh, and can pick and pull studies and resources to either prove or disprove that. But so I always take interest in the idea that when you give bees the opportunity to do what bees do, they tend to produce pretty similar results no matter what part of the country you're in. Now, you can probably get into the argument where there's different genetics, different races, toward maybe they, are, uh, they could be uh, a feral hive uh, for 20 years and they have drawn natural comb for 20 years. Maybe they're on a 5.3 or a 5.4 millimeter uh, cell. But it seems like if you give them the opportunity, they don't draw uh, the typical size of the embossed plastic frame yeah, that you would give them. So the argument that I that what's always interesting to me is so being the contrary beekeeper show, Dan will do things differently than I do and Jimbo. Absolutely, and that's what makes a lot of this the, the conversations fun is because we're not arguing with each other, we're not at each other's throats, and here we are doing things differently. I wouldn't say we're, we're not pals. arguing. We argue, just not at each other's throats. Uh, I guess our okay, we we argue maybe in person and have a discussion more so than. Uh, all the yahoos on Facebook that are yes. getting in with these heated arguments and, and getting <laughs> nasty with each other yes. uh, because one person has a different approach. If you've noticed, Mark here is talking about chemical-free beekeeping. And if we want to go down buzzwords, then we've would, got... Would you consider chemical-free beekeeping the same as treatment-free? Not to put you on a spot or anything. No. Okay. Well, let's, let's just get because it. it's let's, it, let's get into that just a little bit. Treatment-free is a very hot-button topic right. right now, and let's 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 define. And 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 I have people ask me that all the time because I have my thoughts on definition of treatment-free. Yeah. To me, treatment-free is just a general label that you have two groups underneath. If you, I mean, if you have to be, if you have to have a title. Yeah. Underneath treatment-free, on one side, you've got what I would call natural beekeepers. Mm -hmm. They are the ones that don't want to treat for obvious reasons and basically put bees in a, in a hive and really don't do anything with them. Okay? Uh, to me, that's not, that's not treatment-free. That's like suicide. Yeah. Then on my end, you know, if I have to put a, a title on myself, it's chemical-free. Granted, I don't use any chemicals, but my success has been through my management scheme. Okay. Because in many ways, I interact and manage my bees much more than some beekeepers who actually use treatments. How often would you say you go in your hives? Oh, I go in some. I go in these right here in this yard every week. Okay. But this is this is my breeder yard. This is where I make bees. Yeah. And I've got two out yards, and I'm in those at least every week. If not 10 days. It seems to be the biggest, I don't want to say fallacy, maybe misunderstanding, or maybe misconception is even the better word, that the, some of the differences between natural beekeeping and chemical-free beekeeping, you start to get into differences uh, of context. Yeah. Yes. And scale. Well, it's also the same as beekeeping across. Everyone has their own plan that works for them. And you can't put a label on something and umbrella it with a lot well, like of things. Well, like anything else, a lot, we're all in agriculture. So we've got, yes. we have conventional agriculture and we have unconventional or non-conventional. Under non-conventional, we have holistic, we have uh, permaculture, the list goes on and on and on, all the different uh, the, uh, uh, 
doctrine styles underneath of that. You have a, a break in there with one one being, uh, if you talk about conventional, then if we're having the conversation about um, Roundup and GMO, well, we we're, we're already kind of we already have a mental train of thought of where that conversation can go, good, bad, or indifferent. Yes. So it, it's sometimes helpful to have. Um, classifications of things so that you, if we're learning or we're having a conversation, we, we kind of know what's what. With beekeeping, we have natural beekeeping, and I, I would agree with Mark that it seems like folks that take a, the natural beekeeping approach is literally putting bees in some kind of a box, and then if you're going to naturally manage, I think, is where it gets tricky, because yes. how can you... We're automatically taking, a, let's say it was a swarm. We're taking a bee that came from who knows where, and then we're automatically managing them by putting them into either if it's a long lang or it's a top bar or it's mm-hmm. a, what, a wall hive or whatever that might be or a worry hive. So there's a, a little piece of management there, but let, let's say let's say we're doing it naturally, right? We're trying to mimic nature rather than work against it. So we we put them in a box, and then what? We just we just let them we just leave them we're, go and they swarm and they we're swarm. We're mimicking swarm. nature. Yeah. The idea, in, in a square box well, that we made out of pine. That's exactly what they and glued the, together and nailed together. Tricky. Okay, and that's and that's exactly why you can't just do nothing. Yes, because just the fact that we have taken them out of a tree, <clears throat> out of their natural habitat, their natural environment, which is Europe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, they're not even on the same piece of the rock right. that they used to be in, and they're getting decimated by an Asian mite. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <Is> that. <laughs> yeah, really. And now we've got Asian hornets running around here somewhere that's going to start eating them. Um, but, yeah, you, you, you can't just put them – just the fact that we have put them in a box and taken them out of their natural environment, you know, you can't just not do anything. As soon as we put them into, in, into a box – There's a level like, of responsibility you there have. There is, but there yeah. also is a, a mental block that our thinking also goes into that box. And yes. it's hard to, to look at things outside of that or look more into the natural – order of those things and that's where i like when i see mark was was using the word chemical free it it automatically puts you in a different mindset the folks that are 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 naturally keeping bees how can you naturally keep bees and put them in a box and then also get any kind of yield so if the idea is to keep bees naturally just for observation in the corner of a yard let them swarm naturally leave and go die whatever that they might do then that would be more natural beekeeping. When it comes to chemical free, we'll automatically get into a different context. Now we're getting, we're actually getting into our hives. We're hands on. We're learning from them. We're enjoying the process. We're, and then if it fits our context and our goals, we're making splits. Maybe we're making honey. The list goes on and on and on. Grafting queens, uh, things that you do here, Mark. And so I, I like that approach. Um, folks that say treatment free and go hardline I know this this argument has been beaten to death but it seems like the second we put those European bees in a box we've already given them a treatment against wind or rain or snow or whatever that might be and then maybe the argument would be well that's fine let them die if they don't find a hollow in a tree it gets really tricky when we start talking to okay well then what do we do about the things that actually destroy the mites and with your approach with chemical-free beekeeping, your management is the most important tool that you're relying on, more so than the application of whatever level of severity of chemical. That's right. Yep. Um, yeah. The way, I'm, the way I manage 
or the way I have managed these colonies helped me narrow my gene pool. Um, what died, died. And, and what lived, I did increase from. And that's what I did from the, from the very first, well, as soon as I went chemical free. And now I've gotten to the point that I, I can honestly say the colonies that, that I do lose usually is not because of mites. It's because a queen expired over the course of the winter and, and, and thus the, the colony died. Or beekeeper error. You you do a split, don't make it strong enough. Yeah. And and so but yeah, uh yeah, genetics has a lot to do with it. And I and narrowing the, the gene pool and weeding out uh, the not really bad genes, but genes that can't live with uh the mites and the disease pressure, that's that's a big part of there you it. Go. So have you been managing mite counts at all since you went chemical free at all? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. What are you looking at with that? Um, just recently had uh, my my yearly inspection, and in a three hundred B sugar roll, mm-hmm. um, which is what half a cup of bees, I think. Yeah. Four mites. So that's one point one and a half percent mite load. So that's pretty good. Yeah. That's really good. How so? You have your yearly inspection that you're monitoring. Do you monitor it all throughout the rest of the year? I do. I do. Is that sugar roll or alcohol wash? <clears throat> I use alcohol wash. Yeah. And obviously, you know, the mite load is going to increase with your brood over the course of the year. So as the flow continues, you know, it's just natural to think that your mite load is going to go up. So I'll do it again. I'll do it again right at the end of our flow here in North Carolina, which is usually about the third week in June. We're done um, until fall. And I'll do I'll do mic checks then. Not that I would do anything about it. I was gonna. So why? Yeah. So why? If you're if you have no plan in place, rather other than having a point of reference for yourself in case they do die, you have a piece of data just to know. Okay. I just want to know. Okay. If I've got a huge colony out there that's really robust, doing great, you know, they're great foragers, and I got a high mite load, but they look look, look good. I track that. Um. And, and the same thing goes for um, if I've got another colony that, that has the same performance but has a, a low mite count, I track that too. And I use all that information when I start making decisions about splitting. Well, not really splitting, but queen rearing. What, what are your thoughts on this kind of approach being the, the possibility for this for blanketing this approach across the country? Do you have any thoughts on... Genetics and races, environment, forage, uh, landscape, lots of seasonal variables that uh, factor into the potential for these kind of things? Well, the only way you can really do this is do it locally. And that's, that has been, um, that's been a key to my success here is that my genetics have been so strong right here where I live uh-huh. for so long that they have started to overpower the genetics that surround me. So I don't have genetic, bad genetics coming in. Um, to do this, you have to do it locally. And, and that also means use local bees. You know, you're going to Georgia. Oh, yeah. To haul mm-hmm. a bunch of bees yep. to Ohio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
See, I would never do that. Right. Um, because because that's Georgia bees. They may do well up there. Yeah. But for if you wanted to try to, in my opinion, mm-hmm. if you wanted to try to do something like this there where you live, the best way to do it is with your local bees, your local genetics, and go from there. And I think that's that's real similar to, to my, my train of thought on that is that not only do we have let's say you moved all your hives up to Roanoke, Virginia. It could be a completely different ball game up there. Oh yeah. Not only are the, the bees have uh, differences in their genetics, but is it out of the question to think that if the if, if the bees from Roanoke, Virginia down to here could have genetic variances in their traits that also the hive beetle and also the mite may also have variances. Yeah. Uh, and the combination of those with each other, you can move your bees to Roanoke, they could be fine. You can move your bees to Roanoke, and one of those viruses that the mites have in Roanoke that they don't have here locally could potentially wipe your bees out. Yeah. And your bees could be super bees, and it doesn't matter what mite they see, they could be just fine. Yeah. It could happen. And so, in my, uh, it's an interesting concept because when I first got started with beekeeping, when I went down the hardcore treatment free, I bought local, overwintered Ohio nukes from my area. Um, I didn't know that at the time until later, but I could physically watch the the mites crawling all over the bees inside of the hive, on top of the backs. I seen the, the deformed wings. I thought that was just a, just a normal part of it, and every single one of those uh, hives died. Yeah, and then I had two swarms came in, um, and they both also died and I did nothing for those and then it got it's progressively as I've not chemically treated because I still to this date have not used well I guess would you consider essential oils a treatment or a, a chemical I guess it would be an extract of some sort but I've not used any kind of um osalic or formic or uh any of the other um popular um, treatments as soft or hard as they are I still haven't used those and yeah. I, I'm doing better every year now whether or not I continue down that path I'm not real sure because we're our context is changing significantly with our goals in our bee yard um, and I, I've already lost over about $30,000 in bees so from a financial sustainability aspect that's there's it's, it's a it's a it's a, uh, a mental approach that's a little bit different but I'm, I'm still always on the fence. So last year, I did an alcohol wash, and I ended up with, I had one and two mites, that's it, and 300, doing an alcohol wash. I didn't do anything. Um, and the bees went into the wintertime, uh, and then when they came out, uh, half of my bees died. Uh, half of my colonies died. And the hives that uh, that did die, it looked like that they were weak, and they were out, got out of cluster and never got back to the honey. And they had they had stores right on the same exact frames. Yeah, just like they were being a little bit leth- like they're just they just didn't have enough in them. Like maybe they were they had one of the thirty two viruses and that was just enough with the compounding things. Interestingly enough, all those bees and the queens were were directly from Georgia uh, and overwintered through the pol- the polar vortex and the list goes on and on and on yeah. and on to where I think yes genetics matter, but I think we there's a lot to be said about what we don't fully understand about the local context yeah. of weather, of forage, 
of uh, the nutrients that they actually go and forage and bring back to make their own medicine cabinet. Yeah. And then also the genetics of the pest loads that we might find locally. Yeah. And that has a lot to do with it too. Your 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 position as far as where how much big ag you've got around you. I don't have a lot here. Yeah. I have a ton. I yeah. I'm literally in the corn You're belt. Surrounded. Yeah. 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 I got corn and soybean fields on all four sides. Yeah. And see I'm fortunate here <clears throat> now that I don't have a lot of ag. Used to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But as as Charlotte keeps Creeping out. Yep. Uh, what was cornfields are now housing developments. Yep. Which has its own uh, <clears throat> has its with, own with, with everyone and their Roundup sprays and their weed killers and their crabgrass yep. preventers and their at least fungicides the, at least of agriculture they have training on when to use it, how to use it, and what to do. Joe homeowner, nothing. Just pour as much Every Roundup Saturday on morning, it until it's dead at yeah. ten o'clock after his morning cup of coffee. Yeah. Maybe yeah. he's out, you know, spraying or doing whatever, and the bees are waking up. And I getting literally out. have my hives within twenty feet of a bean field. Yeah. And I've never had an issue with it. Yeah. And see, that's that's one of those variables that there's nothing you can do nothing. about. The only thing that you can do is, like, when, when I rotate my comb out, that's the only thing you can really do is keep that old comb rotated out of your yeah. colony mm-hmm. so that so that the, the chemicals don't build up in your wax. And that's really the only thing you can do. So that's pretty much what you're doing. So you, you are monitoring, but will it, would it – knock on wood – at least in Ohio, everything is seems like it's drastically changing. The weather is changing significantly, and we're almost feels like we're getting into a complete new zone, warmer. Yeah, and we're getting. Don't these- make our show any more controversial with climate change. <laughs> oh, I understand. Well, Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Right. It seems like our climate, our weather. Uh, is changing and whether these are old 400 year cycles that we're just too young and dumb to understand which is very likely yeah um, I don't even know what the factors are and it's not that I don't care what the factors are but my first re- re- not uh, what's the what's the old saying can't see the forest for the trees yeah. or is it backwards yeah I can't see the forest for the trees right yeah rather than putting all my energy and effort and trying to focus on what exactly the causes are right now I'm looking at it and I'm, I'm just seeing the results mm-hmm. just like when I all my bees were dying. I could see that, that the bees were dying, and, and then where do I go? Then where do I go? With the wet, with all the everything that seems to be changing, not only with the weather, but uh, and big ag as far as uh, uh, processes, um, chemicals, applications is also changing. But also the homeowner that surrounds all of our bees. All those things are constantly changing. Yeah. The bees have to evolve with that, but we also have to be. I think responsible enough to understand that we have to if we are trying to work with nature and beekeep we have to we have to be be diligent enough to have observation and see what is going on without being so hemmed up and hardlined that because we're going by the name treatment free or chemical free or natural or conventional yeah that that puts us in a box to where we can't entertain other ideas we absolutely the three of us and and on, on facebook it's very rare for all of us because we're we actually have three very different very different yeah. i'm i'm rolling towards plastic cell foundation you've already treated with osalic how many I, times i, this I year? treated with osalic three times this year i treated twice last year yep and it's yeah i don't know we're still having a pleasant conversation even though we're all three and you've had you lost different. significant oh my loss. gosh yes what, this year what percent have you lost uh, even 66 this year well i only did two treatments of osalic acid seven days apart so yeah, yeah. but see even even with my management plan 
<clears throat> there's aspects of it that come from people who treat. Sure. So, like I showed you the the uh, cell builder. Right. I mean that's that's not a chemical free. That's not a aspect. natural way to make queens, right? No. Yeah. Forbid your huh. grafting. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, you know, so you you yeah, like you said, you can't be so hard nosed about the way you do things um, that you can't at least listen to other ideas. Be open-minded. That's right. Because some of those ideas you could take and use them in your management program to make what you're doing even better. And it's the same thing with my farm as I moved out of the city, bought a farm and everyone is commercial ag around me. Oh gosh. Antibiotics, vaccines, all that good trash. But I still go help my friends with their livestock because at the end of the day, I'm still learning something. Huge things. Yeah. Massive. And it seems like, whether it's beekeeping or it's conventional ag, the guys that are doing things on larger scale have decades and decades and decades of experience and learning things the hard way to where I'm guilty of this myself. And I've done it over and over again, especially when we did the same thing, moved out from the city to a piece of land to raise our family. And being young, we subscribe to a certain thought process and now all of a sudden that's we eat and rebreathe and it was permaculture and it was ne- it was it was holistic and it was all the buzzwords to where everyone who uh, is driving the diesel tractor and plowing their ground and planting corn uh, they're they're uh, they're of the devil here magically and whatever they do is evil and there's nothing good to glean and I think that's a completely wrong approach yeah because here you are keeping bees the way that you do and I mean it's what you, there's 20 30 hives here you have another yard you're you're, you're not just a two or three hive backyard beekeeper. There's yeah. nothing wrong with that at all. No. But what you're doing is successful enough for you to where you're able to make enough bees for one. And number two, more importantly, you're keeping them alive year after year. It's sustainable. Yes. This is sustainable a, a sustainable bee yard. Yes. And right. that, that should be everyone's number one goal is to not have to buy bees every single year. Yeah. Be able to have stock that comes out alive that if your goal and context is that you are making increase and you're making splits and you're making numbers, yep. then you have the resources there to do that, to build your stock from. Yeah. And you can, I can grow just as fast as I want to yep. or not. You know, it's, it's totally up to me. Um, and I think, that's, I think that's the only way I've been able to do it is just make it sustainable where, where the genetics that I've got here sustains what's alive. Right, and and that's that's been that's been my success. And so you're walking around here. You've got all kinds of cool things going on. You've got all kinds of different hive configurations. You've got swarm boxes. You've got eight frame deeps, eight frame mediums, five frame deeps. You've got uh, one of these cool uh, four over four um, yeah. setups. Tell us about this that's, this four over four setup. <laughs> well, that's uh, that's something that um, that Kirk Webster and and uh, Michael Palmer actually made pretty popular. What that is, it's basically a ten frame box that has two colonies sit that live in it. They're 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 separated by a divider. On one side you got four combs, and on on one, on one on the other side you got four combs. It's got entrances on opposite sides. And what this what you can do is you can actually super this thing up as t- as big as you as you want it. But what I use it for is as a resource hive to supply frames of cap brood for my production uh colonies it can pull comb for me um 
Or frames of honey, just whatever I need. So what's the benefit with four over four instead of just having two separate five-frame hives? In that small cavity, much like in a tree, bees tend to be more aggressive in moving up. Okay. They, they want to produce more. They, it's like they have a mission, so, so to speak. Because I'm, I'm looking at the hardware, and it's one... 10 frame box on the bottom and two separate four frames on top. I'm just trying to justify it to myself. How would it be? What's the benefit over it instead of just having a little two separate smaller boxes? Is there a benefit to having the 10 frame on the bottom? Well, in in the wintertime, you talking about starting out in a 10 frame? Or no, just how it's set up right now toward that 10 frames well, on the bottom with the two fours on top. Well, in the wintertime, that divider is a common wall. Okay. The the heat exchange through there helps the colony over winter because it, it can stay warmer. And what's amazing with these things is that you would think when you take the top off of it and you look at the four frames on each side, at the center of the brood chamber would be either frame two or three in yeah. the middle. Yeah. No. It's the one beside the divider. Even and, and that's all goes where it's back, warmer is where they're keeping goes the back brood. to the heat exchange. So when I started using these things, I had to change the way I thought because even though it's two separate colonies, the brood chain or the the center of the brood chamber is still in the middle of the box. Now you just touched on something, and probably only dummies like me ears perked because you're talking about running two four frame boxes. On top of a 10 frame box. The 10 frame box is a divider down the center. You're having two separate colonies. And then you're adding the supers on top, per se, that are four frame boxes that are also divided from each other on top. Right. So it's two separate colonies. But you mentioned something there that I think is a, a lesson for all of us to, t- to, to, to learn from is that you just said that the reason that, that one of the, the, the great benefits is, all, is for winter for heat exchange, but when you're seeing your brood, you're actually physically seeing the brood at that common wall. Yeah. So you've just done something that most beekeepers don't, and you've just explained why. Yeah. That that actually works, rather than throwing out, rather than saying, "You're an awesome beekeeper. Your bees are fantastic. This is what you do," and everybody going and googling Kirk Webster, Mike Palmer, four over four, and trying to copy it. Yeah. And the reason why it's it's a lesson learned, I think, because. For you here in your yard with your weather and your context, that's where you found your brood. Yeah. Now, this winter, I put all my hives together, sandwiched them. I got migratory lids. I put them all together, and I borrowed my dad's infrared camera, and you were there. Yep. Did you see- After the, we got it working. After, yeah. <laughs> did you- And I'll let, I'll, let, I'll let Dan speak to it. Where did you- Where, where, were, the, where were, were the clusters in the middle of each box, or were they all- They were all on the back. On the back side. Yes. Because we were looking at the front thinking something's wrong with this damn camera we yeah. borrowed and he sent us down a junk camera. Right. And then we went to the back side and there they were, bright yellow. And they weren't sharing common walls. They were all individually inside of each individual box. They wow. were on the west side of the box. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were we were getting, at that time of the year, we were getting uh, more of the, the northern winds coming in where that, when that polar vortex came through. Yeah. yeah. So in Ohio, in the wintertime, Five frame boxes, they weren't sharing a common wall. They were sharing the same orientation in the box all together. So 
if I were to say, this is how I keep my bees in Ohio, and they lived, and someone goes and does, does the same thing in Phoenix, Arizona, <laughs> you're setting yourself up for failure unless you understand why. Yeah. You have to know. And you just explain why, and that's, that's perfect. That's yeah. beautiful. You have to know why you, you do anything in beekeeping. Before how. Yes. Yeah. You, you, you know, at least have a, a little bit of understanding as to why you're going to do it. Um, I try everything before I implement it into the program. I'll try it. Yeah. That's just like these four of four uh, boxes. I tried one. Like, well, two years ago mm-hmm. is when I got my first one. Successfully killed them. Yeah. <laughs> I made, I made yeah. the, yeah. yeah. I do that too. I made the splits too, too weak. Small high beetle got them. Yep. So. Is that a, is just sidebar. Uh, sidebar is when Dan has another idea when the squirrel dog moment and he's yes. got something really he wants to talk it's about very true <laughs> and wants to politely break away yeah uh, small hive beetle is it a lot worse down here than we usually see up north because for us it's kind of like an afterthought I'd say it's bad here they're creeping up bad are they oh yeah because I just went through all my hives and I only found one in the whole hive and I went through now but August yes. check back yeah 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 it's bad here um uh, my experience is the 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 more you can keep a colony in the sun over the course of the day, the the better. Uh, that's just like I've got a I've got a res- big resource hive back there in the corner of the property. Oh, sun, I didn't see that one. Sun never hits it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, if I don't stay on top of it, small hive beetles will just move in. So what do you do for it? Because in the past I've I've used Swiffer before. The little I've never tried that. Okay. Um. Discord. When I did it, I got the cheapest ones I could find yeah. at Dollar General. Yeah. And I put them in, oh, God, half dozen hives, and they worked like a charm. Yeah. I will as long u- as they're oriented right, they worked like a charm. Yeah. I will use the hospital traps. The uh, beetle buster. maybe. Or yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. With the mineral oil. Yeah. And I've filled them up before. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What? what I don't want to keep going down this road, but I think that these conversations aren't had enough and uh, a respectable manner to bridge some of these thought ideas you're obviously chemical free yeah you're not management free oh no and the things that you're doing with uh whether it's moving frames around or uh if you if you observe that you have hive beetles and in the past you've learned that when you get to this point it wipes out a hive so i need to do something about it and you're putting beetle blasters in with mineral oil What it, it, it's hard to, to when you feel like you're doing the right thing and you're, and you're successful to say what advice would you give to everyone else who's not because that's that's kind of a the wrong way to look at that but maybe the better question is what helped you f- build the framework mentally to start to put together this management practice I know you talked about you went cold turkey with, with, with the chemical free but what other things helped shape your ideas to have this approach to have to be open-minded to look at the hive to be able to make a decision on what you do next well you have to be open-minded to different opinions mm. i mean you have you have to do your research and learn from different people you know a, a lot of times uh, especially young beekeepers they'll latch on to one of these these guys that are on the circuit yeah. so to speak mm-hmm and <laughs> I don't know how else to explain it, you know? Yeah. They're, they're on tour. And and the, everything that they do, they copy it to in a their T. program. Yep. 
Well, okay, if you can make it work. But usually the only way you can make it work is go live right beside that person. Exactly. That's why you take a little bit from this guy, a little bit from this woman, a little bit from this person, and, and use it. If it makes sense, see, that's another thing. There's certain rules, natural rules to beekeeping that you can't break. There's just certain things about having bees in a box and the way they live their life that you can't break. Would you say these rules change? No, your location? Those, are, those are those are fixed rules. Natural okay. order of the Natural honeybee. order. That's the way God made them. Okay. You can't break that. All the other things that you add to that, you need to pull it in from from different people. And and if it makes bee sense, then I'll try it. If it doesn't make bee sense, then I don't try it. Did you, do you did you have any mentors here locally that you visited and learned anything? Um, my the, my biggest mentor right here locally actually taught the uh, Bob Blackwater. So I can say his name because <laughs> I know he doesn't even have a computer, much less know what a podcast. Is. <laughs> 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 but I will if when this comes out, I will share it with him. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, he uh, beekeeper beekeeping basics. You know, he I, I, I contribute all I learned to him. And then the network. We have a wonderful uh, beekeeping association in Cabarrus County that we we talk. And you see, that's the that's the key is you have to communicate. Open line of communication. Yeah. yeah, right. Because if you can communicate, if you open up to a beekeeper about something, they might open up to you about something you was wondering about. Uh-huh. Um, one of the biggest mistakes we make as beekeepers is thinking we know it all and don't say anything. Yep. Well, guess what? You can't do that. Yeah. You know, because then nobody learns anything. Right. There's something, it seems like in Ohio, there's a lot of beekeepers that uh, feel like they're hoarding some special secret knowledge that if they leak it out, then yeah. somehow people are going to be successful and then it's going to run them out of business. It's like a, there's a scarcity mindset amongst even some old timers. Where they 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 just don't want to share how to do things the right way, and I understand from my own ignorance that some of the best lessons learned are the hard way. Yeah, um, I think part of that's because you're a little stubborn. Who me? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm stubborn, but I'm I'll I'll, I'll I mean, I've traveled all over the country to learn from folks, uh-huh. and I and I, and I uh, down to see Don down the fat B man in Georgia over uh, Michael Jordan, Daniel Freeman, and uh, and Colorado. Right. In Wyoming, um, and I, I like to travel and visit everybody in the country when I'm out mm-hmm. here at Mark's place. And what I don't do anymore, however, is I don't do everything Mark's way to a T. I don't do everything Michael Jordan's way or down the fat B man's way. I, I, tr- I try to understand the concepts and, right. and learn why they're doing what they're doing in relationship to the natural order of the bee. I take that piece of information, I take it back home into my context and see how it actually fits in there, and then I try to be a better beekeeper every single year. It, it actually really makes me resonate back to one of the first things I ever heard about beekeeping was Michael Jordan saying, you have to build your management plan for yourself. I can show you techniques. You have to find out what works for you at your place. Yep. You have to. And with... And for coming into something and not really having too much of a knowledge base for it, 
that's one of the first little tidbits I always kept with me was you have to build your own management plan. Because yeah. even in the state of Ohio, mine's not the same as Greg. And we're only and, an hour and a half apart. Yeah, and his yeah. season's not the same as mine. Yeah. And see, especially in the day of technology like we have now, we got, of course, Facebook, YouTube, you know, all this stuff. And you got you can sit down and watch a video of a beekeeper from anywhere in the world. Yep. Doing stuff. Uh, some of my favorite are in Canada. You know, there's no way I can keep bees like... Who do you follow in Canada? Ian Stepler. I love Ian Stepler. Isn't he great? Yes. They have internet in Canada? They do. Yeah. They just recently got... Home care and internet. They have their own TV shows. You need to check out Letter Kenny, bro. That's one of the funniest shows I've ever seen on Hulu. Yeah. And it's Canadian comedy. It's next to the Red Green show. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Well, that's... that's it's important, I think. If if there's any beginning beekeepers listening, well, there wouldn't be experienced beekeepers listening to us talk about learning the hard way. <laughs> so I guess this message is for beginning beekeepers. Just be real careful on how much you lock on to. And uh, there's this, and I, we've talked about it before, and I don't want to beat the dead horse too much, but youngsters like myself and Dan have this inherent flaw because we grew up with technology. We now have it in our pocket. Any answer that we think we want to find, we can get to it like that. Yeah. And all of a sudden, we uh, uh, that that information is now a part of us, and yes. we just go on with it. And it's there. There is no the, the the learning the hard way has escaped most of us, and, and a lot of these things. I th- I think a lot of the issue with that is it's it's as much as having the information in your pocket, but you're seeing a problem and you're immediately running somewhere and looking at it on Google. And you're not sitting there and actually observing and getting the whole picture. And you don't work actually. W- yes. The days of working through a problem, you know, back when I had an old 85 Chevy pickup uh, and it was misfiring or there was something going on, I pulled out the Chilton's manual for the year and I could then comb through the contents and go to uh, engine or transmission and go through and troubleshoot and then hands on learn the components there. Yep. Now, if I say, uh, well, we did it on the way here with all the breakdowns. 2014 <laughs> yeah. Silverado, uh, lose all power cluster while driving, engine still run. All of a sudden, it comes to a bad battery post or one uh, fuse. And so, yep. well, sure enough, we pull in an auto zone here on the way down to Mark's place and put a new battery in and hasn't hasn't done that thing yet. So, we don't have Knock to pull wood. a Chilton's manual. We didn't have to go through and, and tear things apart in the truck and learn and, and be... But the, the issue with that is I more intimately to this day know that that 85 Chevy 100 times better than this 2014 every aspect about how it smelled how it sounds how it looks how it feels now it's like eh here's a a high tech truck that I can't necessarily fix on the side of the road like I could with with the old trucks Yeah. the same thing with beekeeping though If if you're seeing something it's too easy to just go grab some answer that we think fits inside of our inside of the box train of thought that lines up with whatever portrayal of beekeeping we want to pretend to have but the old timers still have that knowledge yeah. and if we can build a relationship that we're humble beginners that we don't know anything but we want to learn why these things work or don't work so we can help build um, that that knowledge base that's I think that's what's really really lacking it's just it's it's a weird time I think. Yeah. It is. And to to that point, you know, yes, we need to we need to embrace older beekeepers and draw mm-hmm. off of their experience, but I would also challenge 
younger beekeepers who have been successful to reach out to two younger beekeepers that are just getting into it and share your information. Yeah. Because I think sometimes we get we get in a groove. Yeah. You yeah. don't want to share. Yes. How are you going? How are well, you? Well, you're not. I don't want to say you don't want to share. You're not mindful enough because you're in your own little world enjoying yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And God forbid you have a YouTube channel. Yes. I, I don't want to go on this rant well, too too much, but but you have all, you have everyone who does have a YouTube channel, or they have a, a huge following, right? And they'll have the video of them in the bee yard doing these magical splits and all these kind of things. <laughs> uh, you didn't see the four days before that, where they 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 fell flat on their ass every single time, or they had for ten years. They happened to capture on. Well, video you don't need to. They have music and transitions, right? See? <laughs> And then you, you absorb it and you gobble up as 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 hoyo or as gospel truth, and it doesn't work in your bee yard. Well, the reason why is it's way too easy to put to put to put on whatever face you want for the whole world to see. Yeah, on the internet, on YouTube, on social media. I, I'm a, a huge proponent of if you are learning from a beekeeper and something resonates with you. And it seems like common sense. Go visit them in their bee yard. Put hands on bees with them. Hands on. Learn from them in their yard, from what they're doing, and see how this whole entire picture gets put together. Exactly. Everyone has seen Don the Fat Bee Man. Everyone knows his videos. They know his approach. Whether you like him, love him, hate him, it doesn't matter. But when I went down to his bee yard, it was a whole uh, new, deeper understanding of all the things that I had seen and I had heard. I seen the man in his bee yard, and... You learn why all these things get put together the way they do, and then all of a sudden these light bulbs go off, and they go off, and they go off, and they go off, and you take them home. And even if I decide not to do things the same exact way at home, yeah, I've under, I've now have a better understanding of the mechanicals, of the concepts, and the why. And I think that's what a lot of us are missing. Yeah, and they, I, go ahead. And and see with with that information, you can go home and make more intelligent decisions. Yeah. On your management style. Right. You know, just by experiencing what he does. Yeah. I don't want to get weirdly philosophical on this one, but I think we're kind of in a strange time period, though, because Greg and I can both remember the world, and you can, before the internet. Oh, yeah. But at the same time, Greg and I were still young enough when the internet was coming of age, and we've caught on, and we're really handy with it. And we kind of... That's a good point, yeah. We're able to bridge both generational gaps because mm. we remember time before the internet but also we know how to use it to our benefit and not just spend our whole life on the internet yeah that's actually pretty scary because i don't have a uh what is that thing snapchat i don't have a snapchat no, i don't either <laughs> don't have a myspace anymore i don't know if they're still around they actually are are they really is that not creepy that is oh I man i wonder if it's still there my only friend still is hey, Tom. You know, and my once mother. that stuff's put on the internet, it's always there. <laughs> You've been keeping bees since uh, 2010, a little before? 2010. 2010. This actually brings up a good point because when the time gap that you're mentioning there, Dan. Yeah. I was born in 82. You were born in 88. Okay, so you seem to be at the far end of this philosophical mental train of thought of crossing yeah. over right i can remember having the first pc in the house and i can remember being a youngster and getting on aol and google searching 
things and waiting for pictures to come up before pixel your parents by got pixel home. By and pixel. it was line by line by line by line by line by line by line. It's the wrong picture and you wasted all this time. And you swear you put in Chevy truck, but something else popped up. I don't know how she got there. That's changed now. Yeah. Because. So eighty, so folks born maybe ninety and on, they have no idea what, what things were like before that. Yeah. yeah, the instant gratification of knowledge, of entertainment, of time wasting is completely different. It is. So, in nine years, so just in our and, young, and I think that's a lot. That's a lot more to the observation is because the younger generation never really had to look, or the old, yeah, well, now for us, the younger people never had to look at a problem real thoroughly because they can just do a broad Google search. And figure out which one closely relates to what their Instant issue problem is. Problem solving without yeah. actually yes. solving the problem. Right. Yes. Because they they have accomplished nothing. Yes. They have ideas of how they can accomplish. Oh, it. and granted, I'm very guilty of that too. Yeah. That's a massive tipping point in how we as humans evolve into our how we problem solve and execute on information that we get. Nine years ago. What 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 was it? I mean, can you look back from from the last from 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 this that time frame and say, I've definitely seen this kind of transition, or no, maybe it's slowly, and then this is a tipping point recently. Have you seen things change or evolve since you started? I think I think the whole presence of uh, you talking about beekeeping related, right? Beekeeping, uh, information gathering, problem solving, because it's it's all whether we're beekeeping or we're talking about uh, fixing your Chevy, right? Oh yeah, it's, it's well, the same. it's it's just I'm sure that YouTube existed um, in 2010. Yep, but I wasn't right. I wasn't aware of it. Um, but it seems like every year since then, you know, Facebook has gotten more popular. Uh, YouTube has gotten more popular, and every year, it just seems like it becomes more of a resource that people use. Whereas when I first started, mm. no, what we mostly used or learned was in a class. Yeah, and then you might have the one-offs that would refer to something online, but now it's the other way around. The class is taken online, and all your follow-up learning is done online. And I think I think that's one of the biggest transitions that that the fundamentals are not learned by human interaction mm. like it was then. Right. Now the fundamentals are learned. I call it the brain sucker. Oh yeah, you know mm-hmm. uh, the brain sucker takes care of all that. Funk and Wagnall and Merriam-Webster, you know those names. Who? Oh yeah, I know Webster. They live right down the street. <laughs> I mean, I almost quoted Step Brothers right there. (laughs) (laughs) I smoke weed with Jimmy Hopkins. No, you didn't. It's, I I don't know. I just, all of us individually, you know, getting together, recording a podcast. Yeah, it's about beekeeping, but we tend to to go in little different places because we're all beekeepers, but we're, we're people and we're humans first and foremost. And as we learn and grow individually, that translates into our beekeeping mm-hmm. or what we do at the farm or with our family or with our kids. And it just, I just, it just put me, Dan jogged my, a, a, a train of thought here, a rabbit hole per se. And it's just, it's, it's something to keep in the, it's just something to keep in mind. I feel know? like there's going to be a lot more car conversation about this in yeah. the coming days. So I'll be driving 
And then all of a sudden, I'll just hear someone giggling like a schoolgirl in the seat next to me. And then I'll, I'll well, okay, Dan. And then he'll tell me what's so funny. And I'll just be, just be like crickets. I just don't. Oh, it was funny. It was crickets. funny. Crickets. So it's, yeah. Mark, where can folks learn more about uh, your beekeeping and your farm? Well, we've got a, uh, we've got a Facebook, Facebook page just for the bees. It's Flatwoods. Uh, bee farm and i've also got a uh, little youtube channel under the same na- same name there's some really cool swarm videos in there I yeah feel like we enjoy watching them yeah the little videos that, that i do are not so much instructional as in as it is that's what i'm doing at the time and hey check it out it's kind of like this, this podcast we're not experts we're not teaching you how to we're just sharing our experience and this, you're sharing what you're seeing and what you're doing in the bee yard this is the way mark does it you have an incredible bee yard. It's been great sitting down talking with you. Well, thank you. I'd like to come back and spend days here uh, following you around. Anytime. Learning, uh, and then having some follow-up conversations about what we get into this year. We're all starting off. Our season in Ohio is just getting started. The apple blossoms and dogwoods are just now on. Yeah. They, they've been on for probably a month ago here, probably. Yeah, and we're, we're actually in the middle of tulip poplar here. Okay. So, so we're uh, all at different st- uh, stages of where our season's taken off, but it's, yeah. it's nice to have these thoughts, at least for us, me and Dan, on the front side, because it gives us more to think about and be mindful of as we grow as individuals, but also beekeepers. Yeah. Very much so. Very Can we cool. ever figure out what that purple tree was? We keep seeing this purple tree. Red tips. <laughs> red tip. What's it called? I never... Red tips. <laughs> We were Googling that thing. And that goes back to what we were just talking about. It, it dangles about. almost like a black locust, but it's purple. It's more of a bell shape. Oh, no. I have no clue what that is. Okay. I saw some of that today, too. It almost, okay. Sorry. I prematurely, I prematurely answered your question. Because you're a tree guy. You Sounds know, like you a know these things. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I saw some of that today. Yeah. yeah. I have no clue what it is. At first, I kept thinking... It looks like it almost looks like, like wisteria is what it looks like. Yeah, but, it's but not. they're in the tops of trees. I'm thinking, there's that's, there's not wisteria vines out here. Like there's there's, there's yeah. no way. Yeah. If but, anyone knows from uh, probably Virginia, uh, well, all we the way down here, the West Virginia border, we down border? To North Carolina. When we got into the mountains. Yeah. We started seeing them. They've got a uh, almost like a lilac, a touch darker flower hangs down, almost like a bell, similar to a black locust flower. Little bigger petals. Uh, it's beautiful. Oh gosh, it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous! Yeah, it was very prevalent, like in between the roadways, on the roadsides, on the hillsides. It's, it's like where you would see a black locust. The yeah. same kind of a. And we've got them. Blo- we've got them blooming here locally, but I will find. I will find out because I noticed it uh, yesterday. Uh, if anyone knows what that is, yeah, let yeah. us know because I'd like to. Do you? Yeah, it's. Yeah, it's they're not. Just, but they're they're in the tops of these seventy foot. 60 foot treetops with no vines and then like, yeah. what in the world yeah it's not wisteria it's, it's Wis- wisteria here yeah is just about bloomed out it's done okay, okay. yeah and it, but it's a it's a vine here right yeah it's a shrub oh, yeah. vine yeah, oh, yeah. like like we see yeah. anywhere well these are full-blown trees yeah these are trees it's, i don't know what the yeah. drive down has been beautiful we're seeing oh, it's been gorgeous spring green and in, in every shade every texture uh, it's 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 been i it's will been say the one time so we pulled off though right after it got done raining and the mountains, it smelled awesome. Oh, it was beautiful, wasn't it? Yeah. Mountain rain. Right after I've never oh. been so happy to be broken down somewhere. <laughs> well, it is getting dark here. Uh, down here in Locust, North Carolina, we probably ought to start heading south. I've got a little bit of light, just in case we break down again. Dude, look over your shoulder. That's gorgeous. The sun is setting over uh, 
Flatwoods Bee Farm here. We've had a great time visiting. Mark, thanks for, for thank sharing for, thank a little you for bit of you with us, and we look forward to learning oh, yeah. more from you. Love having uh, you on the Facebook group. If you haven't already, uh, like, subscribe, uh, share this podcast with, with, with everybody so they can laugh at us too. Oh gosh. We appreciate all the comments and uh, all the, everyone subscribing and, and sharing and listening in. And uh, we've got a lot more to come here about the uh, Bee Run 2019. <laughs> Let's hopefully we, we keep our breakdowns limited to day one, but uh, we'll see what happens. So until next time, be the change. Be awesome. Be you. Ooh. Ooh I like that. <laughs> yes. We'll see you guys. That'll work. <laughs> How about that?